short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. Here we are again. Welcome back to the Cold War Show, episode 42. Woo! Or as I like to think of it, the third hour of my <laughs> weekly visit with Cam. Yeah. The crazy hour. That's right. Things are going to make a little less sense. Take that with, you know, with warning as you will. <laughs> so, um... <clears throat> Where we last finished at the end of episode 41, um, they've been arguing about how the Polish government should be made up. Should they collapse the existing Polish government and have free elections? Or the Russians' proposal is we'll just keep the existing Russian government um, and and add, make room for some of the uh, emigres, the exiles, to the non-communists to join the government because uh, it's important, obviously, to the Soviets that the government in Poland is pro-Soviet um, because of the whole thing we've mentioned before. They've Poland's been used to invade Russia twice in the last 30-odd years. Um, they want to make sure they've got a friendly government. Uh, and if, it's, if the government's filled full of bourgeois uh, 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 Poles, then they're probably not going to be friendly to the Soviets. And, of course, again, remembering it's a long history between Poland and Russia, going back, you know, a century. Uh, There's been battles between them. This isn't a new thing. This isn't a communist thing. This The the, the, um, problems between Poland and Russia didn't start with the Bolsheviks. Uh, it went back way, way, way before they're back to the days of the Tsars. So, uh, yeah, the Tsars didn't even want Poland to exist. They occupied it and controlled it <laughs> along with Germany and, yeah. and um, some other countries uh, for, for a long time. So, you know, as Stalin has said, look, we're not like the Tsars. We're not that brutal. We want Poland. We want a strong, independent Poland. Key here being strong, and by strong right. we mean pro-Soviet. Uh, so because <laughs> yeah, Michael Caine just as Stalin said this is a matter of life and death for us and, yeah. and nothing's going to change about that anytime soon and I don't know how much you want to go into about the borders um, you know the Curzon line was pretty much accepted by the allies now they have questions about the western border you know how much land do you give uh, take from Germany I, I don't know how much you want to go into that but uh, that was Lots. another question where, again, these three guys aren't going to agree because if you move borders, then you suddenly have to start moving people around. And we're talking, you know, a lot of people, hundreds of thousands, if not a million or whatever. So people who would have to be shifted as well to avoid any kind of future conflict or civil war. Yeah. 
So um, I put uh, a map, I think, of Poland with the borders, the old borders, the new borders, the suggested borders up on Facebook. And uh, I'll put it up in the show notes if I remember for this episode as well. Because it's worth having a look at to try and get a visual perspective of this. It really was a major, major move that they're suggesting. Now, again, keep in mind, Poland hadn't existed as an actual country for very long. Right. Um, You know, again, it had been occupied by all these, broken up between these other nations for a very long time. And and then it it sort of... uh, with the, the the sort of happenings around World War One, it basically got to exist for a little while, and then it defeated the Russians uh, in 1920 and 21, and uh, they were able to capture some more border into the Ukraine. Uh, but now they're saying, well, we're going to shift it, but it has major consequences. Now, Joe turns up on February 8th. As you say, they've agreed to the Curzon line, whether it's line A or line B is still up for debate a little bit. But um, that's on the Russian side of the border. Mm-hmm. Joe turns up with a new proposal on the German, the Western side of the border, and he says he thinks they should move it 200 kilometres to the West, into Germany, mm. right up to the Oder and Nicer rivers. Now, that's a huge move straight into Germany. And in fact, right. this was going to give Poland more of Germany than the US and the UK were really happy with. Now, from mm-hmm. Stalin's perspective, this made a lot of sense. If he gave the Polish, the future Polish government a huge amount of new territory, it's going to make the Polish government more loyal to Moscow because, A... He's been he's seen as the guy that's came up with the idea. Yes, look, we're going to take land from you on the Russian side, the Ukrainian side, really, Soviet side, but we're going to give you all this land in Germany. Um, and he's going to put, uh, obviously, if he has his own way, uh, a loyal communist government in control of Poland to, 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 to manage the taking of that and holding that. But in order for them to hold it, they're probably going to need to have the support of the Red Army and the Soviets. So it's going to make the future Polish government more subservient to Russia. So for him, it all makes sense. Um, And he's quick to point out that even the leader of the London Polish government in exile, Stanislaw Mikowajczyk, had been delighted to hear the proposal that he'd be moving the Polish border to the NISA. Uh, Mikowajczyk said uh, that the experience with the fifth column and with German occupation methods makes impossible the cohabitation of Polish and German populations on the territory of one state. So they're after racial unity and they're after taking as much German land as possible. And, and you got to think, I mean, these are this is not just some made-up um, issues by Stalin so he can grab more territory. This is very real. This is very practical. He's trying to appease uh, the Polish. He's also trying to weaken Germany, you know, take more of their territory. So not only does this make sense for him, but this is solving real-world problems. And, of course, the next problems that come up are, what are you going to do with the populations? So from what I, what I was able to read, 
Churchill's more in line with this. Churchill's certainly more understanding of these moves that Stalin wants to make than FDR is. But it's real-world problems trying to be solved by him. But again, this does mean the shifting of millions of people. And maybe some of them don't want to leave or don't feel like they have to leave. Yeah. And we're going to get get into some of the complexities of moving people in this episode, mass migrations. Now, one thing that they all did seem to agree on, both the communist Poles, the non-communist Poles, the Soviets, the Americans and the British, was mm. that whatever the borders ended up being of Poland, there should be no Germans in that territory. They should be... <laughs> A good, yeah, good plan. Good they should be, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Roosevelt said that the Germans deserve to be expelled by terror. Mm. Pooh Bear promised the Poles a clean sweep. That's fair. But moving the Germans out is going to be the task of the Polish government. And this is, you know, as I said, if Stalin has his way, this is going to be run by Polish communists. Now, he sees that as helping sort of put the, the, the Soviets in a better light. He thinks he's, it's going to make him more popular with the Poles mm-hmm. if, if, if a communist Polish government backed by the Red Army is kicking Germans out of Germany and giving it to Poland. Um, and as I said before, they're going to need the Red Army to prevent the Germans from coming back and claiming it. So if he can pull this off, it's a pretty big win in multiple ways for Stalin. Um, And the Brits and the Americans are supportive, but not of moving the border so far into Germany. And they already suspected that this was coming. They had discussed it amongst themselves back in Malta and agreed to uh, not support any initiative in this front. And they had had some pretty good arguments. Uh, You Mm -hmm. want to talk about the arguments? Uh, No, please tell me. (laughs) Please continue. Well, one of the the main argument that they had was they were worried about the sheer number of people they were going to have to move. Churchill wrote a letter to his wife when he was still in Malta about this. He said, I love honey, and I am free to confess to you that my heart is saddened by the tales of the masses of German women and children flying along the roads everywhere in 40-mile-long columns to the west before advancing armies. I am clearly convinced that they deserve it, but that does not remove it from one's gaze. The misery of the whole world appalls me, and I fear increasingly that new struggles may arise out of those we are successfully ending. A little bit of prophetic uh, prophecy. Prophetic prophecy? Yeah, that's that's great, Cam. Fucking good one. <laughs> a bit of prophecy there. The, the, the Brits believed that moving the border as far west as Stalin wanted would create something like eight or nine million German refugees. Wow. Now, that sounds like a lot, but as we've just discussed uh, on the Bullshit Filter... In the six years of the Syrian civil war, there have been, so far, the estimate is 12 million refugees have had to get out of Syria into places like Lebanon and and Jordan and Greece and all over the place. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, but it is. Like, eight or nine million people is obviously a lot of people. Now, the yeah. breakdown of that um, is about one and a half million of them were Nazis, administrators, mm-hmm. and people that had come uh, with Hitler into Poland. They probably lived in houses or apartments that had been taken from Poles that had been expelled right. or killed or put into concentration camps. Obviously, a lot of the big Jewish concentration camps were in Poland. Um, Chrissy's been to uh, one or two of those, I think, when she was over in that wow. part of the world. I think she went to Dachau and uh, maybe another one. She talked about. She's talked to me many times about the profoundness of those visits. Um, more, more than a half a million or so would have been Germans who were native to Poland, had lived there before the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the remaining eight million or so were people that were living in what was Germany even before Hitler's expansion of Germany. So they were native Germans living in Germany whose families had been in Germany probably for centuries and they were right. going to get moved out. And, you know, that kind of stuff is this hard. Like, people aren't going to go easily, of course. Um, and a lot of them are civilians. I mean, they're all, most of the ones living in Germany, I guess, are probably civilians who, again, they didn't, probably didn't vote for Hitler. Uh, they mm-hmm. may have supported the Nazis uh, under duress. But... They're going to get punished for yeah. Hitler anyway, even though... I mean, it's a bit like, you know, not all Americans support Donald Trump right now, but if there was a war and you guys lost and we went in and we said, all right, we're going to move half the United States population into Mexico yeah. uh, because of Trump. And people would go, oh, well, I didn't vote for Trump. Yeah, well... did not matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Not my problem. You're You're, side. Yeah, you, you allowed this to happen. You didn't take to the streets and prevent Trump's presidency. You didn't take to the streets to clean up your corrupt political system, your oligarchy of the wealthy elite who finally managed to get a billionaire elected president. You didn't do anything about it, or you didn't do enough about it, so it's on you. It's a bit like, I mean, I think I've touched on this before, but... The justification, I'm not saying it's my justification, I'm not saying I agree with the justification, but mm-hmm. the justification for the 9-11 attacks on Wall Street. You might say, well, they were civilians working in offices. But again, right. it's like, yes, but you were civilians working in Wall Street, which is financing and supporting your government and your corporations that have been... Uh, 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 oppressing the people in various countries, including the Middle East, Muslims around the world, by doing deals with corrupt dictators and uh, taking control of our oil revenues and all that kind of stuff. So you are implicit in uh, the the goings-on of your government and your corporations, if not explicit, implicitly involved. It's a bit the same as the argument that is made on the other side where... There's civilian casualties, in, and right now in places like Mosul or in Palestine when the Israelis shoot missiles into Gaza. Um, and they say, and civilians get killed, they go, yes, but, uh, you know, they were near the terrorists. So 
or they were supporting the terrorists or whatever it is. Those sorts of arguments against civilians get made by both sides uh, and, and whether or not you agree with them uh, and think they're justified tends to depend on which side you're on at the time. Anyway. Let me ask a quick question. A couple of weeks ago, and I, and I don't know how serious you were, uh, you can certainly answer that for me, but a couple of episodes ago you said something about, you know, why did they have to give um, the Jews, obviously, who went through horrible things during World War II, why did they have to give them something in the Middle East to upset everybody? Couldn't they have given them a section of Germany? I think this information that we're going into now where they're moving the border 200 kilometers uh, to give more to Poland because they're taking it on the other side maybe helps answer why. <clears throat> and I'm not saying that it was even considered, but yeah, obviously they're having their own issues with the people <clears throat> currently there, the Poles and the Germans and, and that kind of thing, as far as where to put people and where the borders should be. There didn't seem, doesn't seem to be any extra land, if I can use that term, if you wanted to give the Jews a homeland in, in somewhere in There's Europe. There's plenty of, plenty of extra land. Germany was big enough. I mean, and But the justification for this, in Poland's case, is exactly what the justification should have been for the Zionists. You know, they wanted a land of their own. The justification here is the Germans were brutal to the Polish. And, of course, a, a lot mm. of the Poles that they were brutal for were the Jews who wanted to have their own homeland in Palestine, not in, not in Germany. It's the same right. people, basically, right. here. They're saying, look... Yeah, the Germans were brutal. Here's here's a big chunk of Germany. This is yours. Go live in it. Good good luck. God bless. Um, you know, my argument is that would have been the moral thing to do is give the Jews a homeland in Germany, which a lot of them were living in anyway, or, or had been mm-hmm. um, in, in the or diaspora. Been, yeah. You know, they were all over Europe, but that was a big part of it. Anyway, let's not get drilled. Let's not get sucked into that. Uh, we'll do that in the the. Uh, right. Well, we'll do that in this show, but later on, we might even do that in the bullshit filler. We might do yeah. the whole Israel Palestine thing. I think coming up in the bullshit filler, talking about what's currently going yeah. on at some point. We got, got to. to. We're going to do it somewhere at some point. Pick somewhere. it apart. But anyway, uh, Churchill said to Stalin, "Edward, we a great pity to stuff the Polish goose so full of German food that it died of indigestion." Which I do not understand. Do you understand that? I don't know. <laughs> Read it again slowly. It would be a great pity to stuff the Polish goose so full of German food that it died of indigestion. I To give the Poles too much German land to create too much resentment. Hey, fuck, I don't know. I, I think everybody it. looked at Churchill at the moment and went, what the fuck, dude? Like... <laughs> We pull your now you're up. just 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 gibberish coming out of your mouth. Like <laughs> it's not Shakespeare anymore. Now you're just like mumbling random <laughs> words and joining yeah. them up together. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's deep, and I just don't understand it. Um, now he was in favour of moving the Polish boundary west, um, and he thought that the the Poles should get some compensation for their eastern territory losses that the Russians are taking. But he said they should take as much German territory as they could handle, but no more. Mm. According to the British protocol of the meeting, he, uh, he was conscious of a large body of opinion in Great Britain, which was frankly shocked at the idea of moving millions of people by force. He himself was not shocked, 
But it was certainly a view which would come very much to the fore in Great Britain. A great success had been achieved in disentangling the Greek and Turkish populations after the last war, and the two countries had enjoyed good relations ever since. But in that case, under a couple of millions of people had been moved. If Poland took East Prussia and Silesia as far as the Oder, it would mean moving six million Germans back to Germany that might be managed subject to the moral question which he had to settle with his own people. Now, one of the books that I read said that Churchill's history, uh, sorry, knowledge of history or maybe his memory of it was being quite selective. The disentanglement of the Turks and the Greeks after the First World War was remembered by the Greeks as part of the Asia Minor catastrophe and was hardly a great success in terms of humanitarian outcomes. But his reference to British public opinion wasn't a sham. Again, one of the things that he's concerned about here is the upcoming election and how this is going to be Mm -hmm. perceived by the uh, British people, the Polish exiles in Britain and and the people in the media and the opposition and how that can be... What the, what the optics of this is going to look like, basically, is we would put in modern political parlance. Right. The optics. How does this look? So, so the so the British people who are going to be voting soon might be getting the astounding, horrible, negative news that there's going to be a whole mass migration against their will of Poles and Germans, and some of them have <clears throat> excuse me, some of them have relatives in Great Britain. And they're going to get word to them, and it's suddenly going to make, I guess, maybe potentially Churchill unpopular. How in the hell do you get your country ready to be okay with that and still hopefully vote for you in the upcoming elections? Yeah. Well, as we find as we find out, he doesn't. He loses. Spoiler. <laughs> okay. Good but, point. Touché. I mean, I, 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 and despite our, the negative review that we read in the last um, show... This isn't Cam's conspiracy theory hour here. This uh, view of of Churchill and, and Roosevelt worrying about the political optics of this back home is in the record. Uh, this is talked about right. in mainstream history books. This isn't me spinning it or inventing this stuff. This is you know, actually recorded in the minutes of the meetings, in their letters, in their memoirs, etc. This is actually what was going through the minds of these guys during these discussions. I'm sure they do have humanitarian concerns as well about all of this. I'm not suggesting that they don't. But one of the, if not the primary thing they're worried about is how this is going to play out back home politically. Back in... Yeah, I can't help you if I get unelected. If someone defeats me, I have to be in a position of power to do anything. So I'm looking out for you. But I'm looking out for me, so I can continue to look out yeah, for you. I'll just deal with the next guy. <laughs> Give a shit. <laughs> anyway, um, the War Cabinet back in London uh, had expressed its concerns this way. Vast transfers of population would be involved. It was uncertain whether Poland would be able to populate and develop territory so extensive. And Germany's dependence on food imports would be greatly increased. Mm. Moreover, public opinion, both in the parliament and in the country, was increasingly critical of the exaggerated territorial demands which had been put forward by the Lublin Poles. 
So maybe that gets back to the stuffing of the pigeon thing that Churchill was saying earlier. Uh, maybe this area was where a lot of German agriculture was. Maybe the Poles wouldn't be able uh. to handle it successfully. You know, any time you, you see a massive exodus of a population where there's a lot of industry or agriculture, it, it causes problems. I may, have I talked about the guy from South Africa that I interviewed on my old podcast years ago? It does not sound familiar. No, look, it's interesting. Like, after Nelson Mandela uh, took power in South Africa, uh, and then there, there was an escalation of uh, black-on-white violence, sort of revenge violence, even though he tried to sure. calm it down. After he got old and, and left power, I think it, it, it tended to increase. A lot of the white uh, Afrikaans people left South Africa and, and immigrated. And um, it caused major problems in their economy because because under apartheid, uh, all of the, 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 the senior uh, business people, the senior government people were whiteies. Um, mm-hmm. When they all left, no one, none, none of the, the black population had the experience of knowing how to run a factory or a farm. Or, or, or how to fix a fucking machine when it broke down, or how to keep the power grid running, or the or the the, the telephone system, or the banking system, you know those sorts of things. You don't learn from a book. There's no you don't get a manual. It's like when it's, it's like, like when Castro and and Che took over Cuba. They had to figure out how to run all of this shit. They didn't have experience. None of the Cuban people, the 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 the, the natives, the people who were left after all of the elite left. The Cuban elite, the bourgeois mm-hmm. elite left, you, you, no one knows how to run these things because they haven't been given the opportunity uh, over decades to, to get hands-on learning. So whenever you have a mass migration of people, uh, particularly when it's the elite that are, that are leaving, or in this case, the entire population leaving Germany, uh, or this part of Germany, you know, you just imagine. Like, imagine, take fucking Virginia. Imagine if everyone left Virginia and were replaced with people from fucking Mexico. Um, they probably know how to do the laundry and mow the lawns because they're probably already doing that. Uh, picking fruit, stuff like that, whatever you get Mexicans to do. Your low income, low wage right. scenarios. But then... The, yeah, my yeah job. your job. They could take your job, standing there with a the checkboard going, yes, and your name is? Yes. Okay, yes, we have you down for 2 p.m., uh, let me cup your balls. Oh, really? Um, That's a bonus. That's or a turning bonus. up on this podcast and just saying, no, please continue. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 the roles that require high levels of education, decades of experience, stuff that's been passed on generation to generation to generation, guild, you know, craftsman skills, running family business, running... They're not going to know how to do that. They're going to, and 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 that's going to take them a long time to learn. And and in the meantime, the economy is going to suffer. And then people, of course, on the outside right. are going to go, "Oh, look at the fucking Mexicans. They don't know how to do shit." That, and you hear this a lot with yeah. ex, when people talk about ex-colonial countries. They go, "Oh, look, Zimbabwe was the breadbasket of Europe when the colonials ran it." And then look what happened. The darkies came in, and it turned into a big fucking clusterfuck. 
Well, yeah, no kidding, right. because no one taught them how to run the place while the colonials were running. On purpose. On purpose, that's right. They were excluded, yeah. like in genuine segregation in most of these situations. They were excluded from education. They were excluded from career opportunities in the higher ranks of government and business. And so, yeah, no kidding that shit falls in a heap when they finally get their hands on the keys because they don't know that no one's taught them what to do. And you don't get just born knowing how to do this shit. You have to learn how to do it. See, this is like the, the fucking technicalities of this stuff that you, you, you rarely hear. Yeah, anyway. Right. Fucking, Gets brushed over in history. I'm in class. ranty mode now. So um, <clears throat> let's get back to the thing. So everyone's worried about... <laughs> The mass migration of the Germans. Stalin says, look, <laughs> I got it's not going to be a problem. They're like, really? Yeah, <laughs> not going to be a problem. They go, well, how's that, Joe? Guess, well, wherever the Red Army turns up, the Germans just run away. So they'll, they'll be gone. There won't be any Germans as soon as we turn. So Boom. all we need to do is turn up. They, they fucking piss off, piss their pants, and they <laughs> piss off. He actually said... This, this is where you do the uh, I dream of genie gesture. That's right. Boom, done. They're gone. Um, I got to tell you, I took uh, one of my boys, Taylor, to his futsal game on uh, Monday afternoon. And um, I'm sitting there watching the game, got my headphones on. And he said to me afterwards, I looked over and you were laughing at one stage. What were you, what were you listening to? I said, oh, I was listening to this podcast on Augustus Caesar by these two guys and they're really funny. He goes, oh, checking out the competition, eh? I said, no, dude, I was listening to us. <laughs> I was listening to us going on about D'Angelo and you say you put on blackface. <laughs> Makes me laugh. Anyway, God, we make we make ourselves uh, laugh if no one else. Um, exactly. My dream of genie. Yeah, Stalin actually said there will be no more Germans there for when our troops come in, the Germans run away and no Germans are left. Fucking great line. Boom. Um, by the, meanwhile, he drops the mic and walks out. Meanwhile, in Britain, George Orwell uh, raised his voice one last time in February 1945, saying that the mm. planned expulsion of Germans was an enormous crime that couldn't be carried through. I think the the enormous crime was just committed by a lot of those Germans. Not those Germans, but by the Germans. So don't know if I can go along with him on mm. that one. Well, it was maybe an enormous crime, but he was wrong about it not being able to be carried through because it was carried through. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> by the way, when Stalin said the thing about the Red Army coming in and the Germans run away, Pooh actually said, this, of course, simplifies the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. These two are really getting along in these last three episodes. Yeah, these two guys are buddy buddy now. They're, they're like uh, Dean and Jerry Lewis, man. They've got this whole routine. <laughs> they're like you and me. They've got this comedy routine going on. Oh, well, that makes matters much easier. <laughs> um, Churchill also said that by killing between six or seven million Germans in the course of the war, the Allies had in fact created space in Germany. Uh, for people to move in. And Pooh Bear said that he expected the German casualties to grow by at least a million more before the end of the hostilities. <laughs> Stalin said, uh, what about two million? And Pooh said, 
Oh, I'm not proposing any limitations. Oh my god. That's my. actually what he said. I'm not proposing any I limitations know. on them. Yes, kill them. The more the merrier. <laughs> Why well, say jolly good old Joe. So uh yeah. Woo now, Oh my god. Yeah. So I don't know, did you read about you know the killings, the rapes, the rob the robberies, the, the torture, just everything. And Stalin knew a lot about the stuff, but you know, that's not exactly high on his list to, to handle. All he knows is it's not happening to his people. It's either the Poles or the Germans or whatever. So I had read somewhere that he really didn't even try to shut it down. Uh, basically letting the soldiers do whatever. And if you think about it, they've been fighting for years under very harsh conditions. So I guess he wanted to let them let off some steam. But he didn't even try to to reel that in until like April of 45. Yeah, and this is where we need to get yeah. serious for a bit, because um, this is horrifying, brutal okay. shit, and um, I don't want to make light of it in any way, shape, or form. I do want to try and understand it, um, the horrors of war, and we've touched on this. You know, we did on our Alexander show. We talked about the Macedonians and war and PTSD, mm-hmm. and I think. We talked about this a bit, uh, but I want to cover it again here. I, I know most of the listeners to this probably listen to that show, and they've heard us talk about it a bit before, but I'm going to talk specifically in this section about the Soviets and the Polish. Um, yeah, the, the Germans that didn't run away uh, were killed or raped or raped and mm-hmm. then killed. Maybe sometimes killed and then raped, because that's the other way of doing it. Um in the spring of 1945, the Soviet authorities in East Prussia had reported back to Moscow that the suicide rate was increasing amongst Germans in general, but in women mm. in particular, particularly in the Soviet-occupied right. territory, um, because they were basically just being raped en yeah. masse by the Soviet army, the Red Army, as they went in. Men who tried to defend their daughters or wives were beaten and killed, often beaten and made to watch while their wives and daughters were raped. And, of course, there were few men there to protect the women in the first place. Uh, Many of them were either dead. Five million German men had been killed in action at this point. Um, Or they were off fighting the war somewhere else or they'd been seized by by the Soviets as uh, Mm -hmm. labour already being sent back. I've got some numbers on that, which we'll get to a bit later. Uh, so the men who were left behind were either old or, or disabled right. or quite young, I guess, boys, not able to do much to defend against a, you know, an armed battalion who comes into your town. In some villages, every single female was raped regardless of Jeez. age. There was a German novelist, Gunther Grasser, who learned later in life that his mother had offered herself up in order to spare his sister, her daughter, from being raped. Uh, But neither of them was spared. Can you imagine? I mean, mean, you've got a wife, Mm -hmm. you've got daughters. Yeah, you're willing to do anything to protect them, and as horrible I'm not going to talk horrible about as that is how what? hot your older 
your eldest daughter. I'm not going to talk about how hot your <laughs> eldest daughter is when we're talking about rape because that that would just right. be inappropriate. No, but just you're willing to do anything uh, to protect your your family, and it gets turned down, and then they do it anyway to everybody. I mean, that's just. I mean, besides death, would you is, give I mean, yourself up to be raped? Would you say no? Take me instead of my daughter. Rape um, me up the yeah, I uh, I try to give them that come hither look. Really work it. Um, but it's probably going to happen to me anyway. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very fuckable. So it's probably going to happen to me anyway. Oh, <laughs> sorry. No, no scratch human that out. I'm sorry. Yeah. But I am. We can't help ourselves. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Back to serious. Yeah. Um, gang rapes were yeah. very common. Uh, many, many women died as a result of the wounds sustained during successive rapes. Um, but it wasn't all Soviets, and I'm not trying to uh, justify this. Uh, it wasn't all right. soldiers, I guess. Uh, well, it was. A lot of Gulag, about a million Gulag prisoners had been released so they could fight on the front. So maybe some of those, maybe you have brutal prisoners. Not, of course, not everyone in a Gulag was a mass murdering psychopath yeah. either. You're guilty. We know there's a lot of innocent people that just maybe have... They they weren't farming hard enough, so they got sent into a gulag. But there were gulag prisoners, a million of them in the army. But you have to stop for a moment, and again, not in any way, shape, or form trying to justify this because I find this horrifying, no matter who does right. it to whom. But it is a reality of always. war all over the world and always has been, and it's something that... Is worth as difficult as as it is trying to get our heads around the the toll on civilians, women and children in particular, civilians. Now imagine being a Soviet soldier marching into Germany in 1945, and discovering that every German worker's house, not the elite, not the aristocracy, but every German worker's house was finer than your own yeah. house back in Soviet Russia. Yeah. And yet they have all of the, the the Germans had all of this going for them. They had you know uh, uh, homes, agriculture, wealth, and yet they invaded the Soviet Union to rob and yeah. kill. Which was poor, incredibly poor by comparison. Yes, Germany had been through the Treaty of Versailles and that had caused economic hardships for a decade or so. But still, there was no comparison between where the Soviets were and the Germans were, yet the Germans had invaded the Soviets' country and and robbed and killed them. Um, You know, the, the, the Soviets sometimes said they attacked only the capitalists when they went into Germany, but... From their perspective, even a German farmer must have seemed unthinkably right. rich compared to where they were coming from. And they probably saw the raping of the German way as a way to humiliate and dishonor mm-hmm. the German men, punishing the men by raping their wives and daughters. Um, and also... We we have to keep in mind that as the Red Army took on 
enormous losses as it moved west because it's still fighting uh, its way through here. The Germans are still putting up a, a right. strong defence. The the ranks of the Red Army are being filled by conscripts from Belarus and Ukraine whose families had also suffered at the hands of mm-hmm. Germans. So, you know, they're angry. They want brutal revenge, which is just Absolutely. human. I mean... It's easy for me to sit here in the comfort of my home and say, you know, raping women in this situation is wrong and inhumane and horrible. But if my wife had been killed, raped and killed, my children had been Mm -hmm. killed, and I got to march into the home of the killers, would I be thinking straight enough at the time to say, well... No, I'll let the police do their work here and I won't take personal bloody revenge. And, and not only that, but to add on to that, I mean, none of the Soviet officers were, were pulling these men back. We're trying to keep them under control. I mean, it happened and I don't know if it was encouraged, but it certainly wasn't stopped. And that kind of message gets through to the soldiers real quick. So what goes, what might have started out. Um, tentatively probably became a, a massive wave of just horror and terror. So again, they're not being, so they're, they're grief stricken. They've won. They've come through this horrible ordeal. And now there seems to be apparently no rules. I mean, humans can only be in control so much, especially when you throw all the emotional elements into it. Yeah, and I think it was back on that Alexander show, Alexander 56, somebody pointed out to me on Facebook because I couldn't remember, where we talked about the My Lai Massacre Mm -hmm. in Vietnam. For people that haven't heard that or don't remember, uh, just briefly, there was an American battalion in Vietnam that basically went ballistic uh, on the orders of their commanders and shot every man, woman, and child, turned flamethrowers on them, for no particular reason other than I think the Americans had been attacked the day before and they thought this village was right. harboring Viet Cong. And so they just went in and destroyed every man, woman and child. And it fucked a lot of them up. And um, and and it actually, Seymour Hirsch, the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who uncovered the story and broke it in the American media and it was denied by the Pentagon for a long time until enough evidence came out that it couldn't be denied, started to turn the tide of popular support in the US for what was going on in Vietnam. But um, if you want to hear more on that, go listen to Alexander 56. But of course, the big difference between those two stories is that with the Germans and the Russians, the Russians wanted revenge on the Germans for invading Mm -hmm. their country killing millions of their people, destroying thousands of their villages. Uh, the Vietnamese didn't invade America and didn't kill any Americans uh, on American right. soil. They were just defending their own country when the Americans invaded and fought back. And the Americans were like, how dare you, sir? Um, so it's a big difference. But the point remains that in war... People, whether they're Americans or Soviets or Germans or British or anyone, really. Uh, there, there are countless stories of them doing inhumane, horrifying, mm. sociopathic yeah. things. So um, uh, I got more on this. In the fall of 1944, the Yugoslav communist leader, 
Milovan Zhailas went on record criticizing the Red Army soldiers for rape and murder in Yugoslavia. Stalin replied, Does Zhailas, who is himself a writer, not know what human suffering and the human heart are? Can't he understand it if a soldier who has crossed thousands of kilometers through blood and fire and death has fun with a woman or takes some trifle? Jesus. Fun with a woman or misbehaving with a woman is how I read another translation of that. Shit. <laughs> Interesting that Stalin wants him to think about the human suffering of the soldiers, but apparently that doesn't extend to the raping of right. the women, Yugoslav or German. And if that's how the Red Army are treating women in Yugoslavia, yeah. damn, you can imagine what they're doing in Germany. Now, at the time in Russia, there was a very famous journalist and author, Ilya Ehrenberg, He was one of the editors of The Black Book, The Ruthless Murder of Jews by German Fascist Invaders Throughout the Temporarily Occupied Regions of the Soviet Union and in the German Nazi Death Camps Established on on Occupied Polish Soil During the War of 1941-1945, which uh, is in the Guinness Book of Records for the longest title ever. Um, It's also known as The Black Book. Um, It was the first book to publish eyewitness reports of the Nazi extermination camps in mm. Poland and was really the thing that brought it to brought them to public attention. Um, anyway, when the Nazis were deep in Soviet territory a few years earlier, Ehrenberg had published a prose poem called Kill, God. which I would like to read. Um... There is no need for the Germans to blame Hitler for everything. For half a century, they've been learning how to cut off ears and fling children into wells. They are cannibals by conviction. The destruction of women, the devastation of peaceful villages, the murder of infants in arms are for them military science and state wisdom. The Germans are not human beings. Henceforth, the word German means to us the most terrible curse. From now on, the word German will trigger your rifle. We shall not speak anymore. We shall not get excited. We shall kill. If you have not killed at least one German a day, you have wasted that day. If you cannot kill your German with a bullet, kill him with your bayonet. If there is calm on your part of the front, if you are waiting for the fighting, kill a German before combat. If you leave a German alive, the German will hang a Russian and rape a Russian woman. If you kill one German, kill another. There is nothing more amusing for us than a heap of German corpses. Do not count days, do not count miles. Count only the number of Germans you have killed. Kill the German. This is your old mother's prayer. Kill the German. This is what your children beseech you to do. Kill the German. This is the cry of your Russian earth. Do not waver. Do not let up. Kill. Damn. 
what would someone have to go through or see in order to be able to write something like that? And this guy was a journalist uh, and an author. Now, he was at a party thrown by Avril Harriman on January 12th, 1945, Mm. three weeks before the Yalta Conference. And apparently Ehrenberg asked a Western guest there, what would you do if you found a German beside a Christmas tree? A British general who was there said, shoot him. Ehrenberg said, no, 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 that's too good for him. You should hang him from the Christmas tree. But then he stated that he had gone on record against murdering children and that you should only hang Germans once they hit the age of 16. Mm. Because, you know, they weren't complete savages. So, like, this is what a, a, a Russian journalist is writing. Very popular Russian journalist writing in Pravda uh, and, 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 you know, writing popular media stuff is saying about the Germans. So it's not just Stalin. It's not just the, the Red Army, the Gulag, the soldiers, the, the, the I mean, and tw- again, 22 million people dead. Eh, you can understand that they're yeah. pretty upset. Um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the famous Russian Nobel Prize winning author and dissident, was himself a young captain in the Red Army when it entered East Prussia in January 1945. And he later wrote in his Gulag Archipelago, all of us knew very well that if the girls were German, they could be raped and then shot. It was almost a combat distinction. Oh, my goodness. Harsh, yes, but, again, they were not alone. In 1944, the New York Times posted this article. Must kill every German, Paris cleric warns flock. Paris, France. Some idea of the temper of Paris during the struggle for liberation can be gained from a sermon preached a week ago Sunday in a Paris church. To a congregation made up largely of people who had spent the previous night fighting the Germans behind barricades, the clergyman said, there is one thing that we must not forget right now. That is that this war is not ended. It is not enough to win a victory. We saw that in 1918. What remains to be done is to kill every German. It often happens that when a war has been won and victory has been assured, our minds soften. Let us pray God to have the strength and courage to go on to the end. Every bullet must kill. Every bomb must find its target. There must be no distinction between soldiers and civilians in the destruction of men, women and children. For we speak of a damned race. Once the destruction is over, legal minds may come, if they like, to establish international organizations that will perhaps be of some use. I do not know. But in any case, the Germans who are already dead will be unable to fight again or to multiply. I know that when I speak as I do, I preserve the spirit of the Bible, at least of the Bible that is read from beginning to end and not only in its soft and gentle passages. Because God is as terrible towards the evil as he is kind towards the good and humble. Let us therefore pray to God to exercise his severity against this people, to send it disasters and floods worse than anything until now, punishments more terrible than the ten plagues of Egypt. 
Let their towns be more completely destroyed than Jerusalem. The object is to finish for all time with those whom, mindful of certain passages in the Holy Bible, I may rightly call the damned Bolsh, the damned swinish Bolsh. Let so be it. And although it was in a church, the congregation applauded. Damn. I'm just trying According to... to the New York yeah. Times. Sorry. I'm just trying to just um, just <clears throat> sorry. I'm just trying to uh, juxtapose Stalin, Churchill, and FDR sitting around tables. Churchill's making flowery speeches. They're trying to outmaneuver each other. They're trying to gain territory. They're trying to gain momentum. Whatever a temporary ally. And out on the fields, these people are going through these horrible things. These people are doing horrible things to each other. It's just night and day, and it's hard for me to wrap my head around the one reality versus the other reality. Jeez. Now, while the Alta Conference was actually in session, the Soviets, uh, who had already occupied parts of Germany, (coughs) sorry, were rounding up labor battalions, as I mentioned before, of German males aged 17 to 50, and sending them back to the Soviet Union uh, as slave labor, something obviously that had sort of they'd been given tacit agreement for during Yalta. Um, mm. Those who didn't escape uh, and weren't shot were sent back to work in the labor camps. So Stalin was right when he said there weren't going to be any Germans left in Poland. But as you said, a couple of months later, in April of 1945, Stalin gave the order to stop mass murder, rape and looting in Germany. Uh, He also decided that he had to stop Ehrenberg, who was officially reprimanded in Pravda for inciting senseless violence. Pravda, there was an article that said there is no such thing as a united Germany and not all Germans behave the same and many of them, more and more with time, were turning away from Nazism and even fighting against it. And according to Oleg Kvelnuch, who uh, wrote a recent biography on Stalin, he's a Russian author, he said, judging by the article's style, it had been written by Stalin himself. So why do you think Stalin... uh, changed in april yeah i mean i certainly don't think it came out of the goodness of his of his heart but yeah the the western powers are getting closer they're about to meet they're about to meet up uh there's going to be talk there's going to be gossip whatever going around and it's time for him to clean up his act because he's got to think about the future the chaos that you're allowed to get away with during times of war is about to come to an end and it's, it's just time to clean things up. He can't let that go on. They got to vent. They got to, you know, get it out of the system or whatever, but it's time to pretend to be one of the big three powers and act accordingly. That's, that's my guess on it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's all about perception. Yeah. All right. So meanwhile, in Yalta, the discussions about Poland are about to break down again. <laughs> uh, Pooh Bear and Frank, refuse to agree to moving the the border to the western uh, Nysa River. And Molotov has a break. He goes, hey, look, why don't we let ask the Poles, see what they think? Because as we've said before, we know the Poles are going to be happy about it. The more Germany they can get, the better. So he's like, well, hold on. You don't get to decide this because we care about, you know, freedom of all people to make their own decisions, remember? Right. Let's ask the Poles. 
But the US and the UK just put their foot down. They said, absolutely not. Um, and, you know, I, 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 part of it's got to be the migration. Um, but I also think part of it is remember that they want a strong Germany. The Brits and the Americans right. want a strong Germany coming out of this to keep the Russians at bay. So on one hand, they're pretending that they're, you know, uh, uh, friendly with the Soviets. Mm. On the other hand, really, they want to keep a strong Germany that they can rebuild to keep the Russians at bay later on because they see the Russians as their big next big problem. Right. Well, another way to look at that uh, is, um, I don't, I don't want you to break up Germany to make it weaker because I may need Germany one day to fight you, Soviet Union. But then again, I'm making this move that will definitely piss off the Soviet Union and bring us closer to some kind of armed conflict. So it's almost like, yeah, I get what you're trying to do, but you've, to me, the Western powers have to look at the big picture. Look, if they're going to take two hundred, two, two hundred more kilometers after everything we've been through, fucking give it to them, or maybe come to a compromise. Like like you said on the last show, the last show four four shows ago. <laughs> the last show four yeah. shows ago. But uh, and I guess that's where we can wrap it up. So they're not prepared to uh, agree to moving the border that far. Stalin's not going to give in, mm-hmm. and so they basically are stuck. Uh, Eden wrote in his diary on February 8th, not such a good day, stuck again over Poland. Uh, do I have time to talk about the charge of the Light Brigade? Not really if you care about me at all. Okay. <laughs> we'll leave it all there right. then. Until next time. Descended across the continent. Of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.